Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. Also, thanks to Steve Tanner last week. Uh, Steve, it's funny, uh, the Advent series is usually pretty straightforward. It's, you know, from Luke or, uh, or maybe the prophets or something like that. But uh, we saddled Steve, who gets to preach a couple times a year, with uh, starting the Advent series on the covenants. Yeah, the Old Testament covenants. Now, that is a good series, right? How does it even work that you do the Old Testament covenants for Advent? Well, Steve reminded us uh, that the Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant are are both related to kind of God engaging with his people, right, and making some promises and commitments to his people. And one of the things that he traced throughout that time or throughout the, the sermon was the idea that faithfulness to God in the midst of God calling you to something is absolutely essential. He, he quoted a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is a, a great book. I recommend it. And, uh, and in that, he gives, this, he gives this definition. John Mark Comer, the author, gives this definition of what it means to wait in a biblical manner. He says, biblical waiting is not passive activity. It's demonstrated by dependence and obedience to God. Dependence on God and obedience to God. The idea is that faith is so important in terms of how we follow Christ and how we follow the Lord. And that that faith is what actually produces our obedience. And so when there's faith, there's obedience. And when there's lack of faith, there's often disobedience. And that's, that's proven out throughout these covenants. Now, again, these covenants do seem like a strange way to spend Advent. <laughs> Except for when you think about the Old Testament, it really is the ultimate Advent guide. It really is because it's the, it's the, the plan of God projected onto the hearts of men and women. That's, that's really what the Old Testament is. It's this redemptive plan of God that's revealed through a multitude of different experiences that God's people have. And, uh, and the covenants are part of that experience. Not just the experience, but the covenants are, are part of the plan. Now, these covenants that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, last week, as I said, it was the Edemic and the Noahic covenant, today's Abrahamic covenant. Uh, then we're going to talk about the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant, and then we're going to talk about the new covenant on Christmas Eve. But uh, all of those covenants are, are inextricably linked together, that you can't have one without the other. They're not in a vacuum. They're, they're all connected, and they're all leading us, in a way, towards the redemptive plan of God. They're all a, a, a stop or a, or a destination on the journey towards the, uh, the, re- the redemptive plan of God. And, uh, and what's really kind of crazy about that is that, um, is that they're, they're also not just about kind of revealing or revealing who God is, but they're, they're literally revealing what God wants to do in your life, what God wants to do in, in our world. You know, I'm really pumped that, that we're here together today, and, and I want you to know that one of our hopes as Grace Community Church is that, that we, who are in this thing called the spiritual journey together, would uh, be making progress and, and really literally want to be encouraging one another in that, and, and we want to be for you in that, which is so exciting that you're choosing to be a part of the kingdom of God, the, the, the fellowship of the believers, and, uh, and trying to figure out what God wants for your life. 
And in some ways, um, that's what everybody's experience is. Even though Abraham, who we're going to talk about in just a minute, didn't quite totally understand it, he, he had this sense that there was something that his life was missing. There was this guy living in the middle of nowhere with his parents and his family, and he was almost 75 years old, and, and God makes this call on his life out of nowhere. He was worshiping a pagan God, and the God of the universe speaks into his life. It's amazing. And what the God of the universe wanted to do as he spoke into his life was to, to help him understand that he was going to be the first step in this plan that God had, this plan that, that God had for redeeming the world. You know, when God created the world, he created it perfectly. And when Adam and Eve entered into it, it was a perfect relationship that they had with a perfect God. And when they were engaging in this relationship with God, Satan came in in deception and lured them into rebellion. And in Genesis chapter 3, you see this whole world that God created just kind of fall apart because of sin. I mean, it, it breaks the heart of people. It destroys who we are. It brings a sinful nature into people who were holy. It breaks everything about the world. And God wants to come into that moment and change it. God wants, to, God wants to come into that moment and redeem it. God wants to come into that moment and remake it. And it's not because he just wants to make sure that it looks good for himself. It's not just because he wants to make a name for himself. It's not just because he wants to complete the project that he started. No. It's because, John 3.16 says, because of his love. John 3.16, you know that verse, if you ever watch a football game or a sporting event, it's almost always held up in the eye of the camera, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is literally the summation of God's plan and the Old Testament. Everything about the Old Testament is right there. Now, and that all starts with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Now, you may ask yourself the question, if it starts in Genesis chapter 12, that doesn't quite make sense since actually there's a Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11. So what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, really quickly, let me just remind you of something that we've talked about before at times, is that is, is that those first 11 chapters of the Bible, they're really just about telling how we got to where we need this redemption. It's just about how God created the world. It wasn't a science, it's not a science book. It's just God giving these details about how he created the world and what happened after he created it and the rebellion that took place and the curse that he put on the world and then the, the proof that the world was sinful, all the evil stuff that happened from Genesis chapter five with Noah and the bad people all the way to the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11. And all that is meant to do is to point to the fact that we need a redeemer. And God is going to supply it. And the first step in that process is found in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Where, where God who comes to Abraham, like I said, in, in the middle of nowhere. The Ur of the Chaldees living in comfort with his parents. Living in prosperity as a family unit. Living there in familiarity. Worshipping a pagan God. And God calls him to leave all that familiarity behind, to leave all that certainty behind, to leave all that prosperity and all that way of life behind and to choose him and do something new. And in verse one, it says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house 
to the land that I will show you. And I will make you, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you may be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me just say this. The Abrahamic covenant is the last few words of the last verse we read. And that is God is making a promise to the person of Abraham that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The covenant was about land. It was about a name. It was about being this great nation, but only to accomplish one thing, that in some way, these people that would come from Abram would bless the world. Now, we just finished a, a, a strategic planning kind of assignment as a church, and a, we did some alignment as our mission. And, and one of the things that you do when you do that is you, you kind of take a step backwards, and you get a, about a 30,000-foot view of where you are, right? And, and you kind of just look at the general landscape that's out there. You kind of figure out what in general you're doing and how you're doing it and all that stuff. But you don't start with specifics, you're just getting a 30,000-foot picture. And you don't really, you don't, if, you're, if you're looking at it in the right way, you, you don't really get all the detail work at the bottom. And that's kind of where Abraham was. Abraham did not understand completely what God was saying when he was told that his nation, his people, these people who would come from him would be a blessing. He didn't understand the full extent of what that meant. What we discover as we unpack the Old Testament and the covenants is that that blessing would appear thousands of years later in the form of Jesus Christ. It, it would appear not just in, in, in a vacuum, though. It would, be, it would be the result of the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant being lived out by the people of God. And then this whole covenant of love, this, this purpose that God had driven by love, not just to make himself known, not just to, not, just to, not just to finish something that he started, not just to complete something that fell apart. No. John 3.16 says that he started this plan because he loves you. He loves you. Thousands of years before you were born, Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, determined to love you and do whatever it would take to draw you to himself. Man, and this is the, the plan of God in that. I, I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you're, you're feeling unloved or you're feeling like you've been let down. But let me just tell you, or you're experiencing the brokenness of the world, but let me just tell you, from the very beginning, God had a remedy for what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and what you're living right now. And it was called the redemptive plan. And this redemptive plan began with Abraham being called out so that 
so that Jesus Christ could come from his line, so that Jesus Christ could die for sin, so that Jesus Christ could have victory over death and sin, and so that that could be applied by faith to your life. And if it hasn't yet been applied to your life, I urge you today to receive the gift of Jesus by faith, to trust in what he did at the cross, to believe that his death paid the penalty for your sins, and his resurrection won the victory over sin for you. And all you have to do is receive that gift. I mean, that's why this plan came about, to reestablish a connection for God with his people. Now, everything about this covenant is, that, is, is for that purpose Man, it's so weird though. God, God, as he makes his way through this covenantal thing, he's dealing with people, you know? He's dealing with people like you and me. You ever think about Abraham? I, I do sometimes and I read things like Hebrews chapter 11, which is the, the hall of fame for faith and Abraham's got this great faith and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I am nowhere near like Abraham in faith. But then again, I start seeing things like we're going to talk about today, and I realize maybe Abraham is more like you and more like me than we think. Maybe these great people of the faith are, are more like us than we think. A couple of weeks ago, Vicki and I had the chance to go to the return of the Tyler Symphony Orchestra at the Cowan Center, and some of you were there. I, I, we saw some of you who were there, and it was, a, it was an awesome evening. And one of the things that made it really awesome was that uh, Tyler's own, Sylvia D'Ermo, who is a soprano with the Metropolitan Opera in New York, made a special um, a guest appearance. And it was so wild. You know, I got to tell you, I probably like classic rock music better than classic. Um, but, but I do like classical music, right? And so one of the things that I noticed, now keep in mind, I have absolutely zero training in classical music. But, but here's what I notice in all of my uh, experience with classical music. A lot of times during a song, especially if there's an operatic voice going along, it'll be like all of a sudden it'll, it'll rise. It'll create this really high crescendo. And, and you're thinking this one's going to blow the top off the place. And then in a, in a moment, it just stops. And then it just falls real silent. You just gets down, and, and then again, it'll rise way up, and then a little bit later, it'll, it'll fall down again, and it, and it makes its way like this until the crescendo or the climax of the song, and you know what? That's a lot like our lives, right? That's a lot like our spiritual lives. We've got this crescendo or this climax that's coming. It's the coming of Jesus Christ in the future to, to do everything once for all. I mean, he's already died on the cross. He's already given us victory over sin and death. But, but one day, he is coming again to make everything new. And that's the crescendo. And until that time, well, if you're still alive when he comes, if you're not, then you die and then you get to experience. But that's another story, okay? But what you're supposed to be doing in that time is the same kind of living that uh, Abraham was living. And if you're like me in that moment, there are times when your faith is so strong and you're being obedient. And then there's something about your faith that fails and you become disobedient. And then you become this moment of faithful obedience and then these moments of unfaithful disobedience. And you, and you kind of make your way on your spiritual journey, hopefully on an upward trajectory, right? I mean, but you're going up and down. And that's what Abraham was doing. Abraham, what was his role here? Well, let me just tell you one thing about his role. 
It wasn't to make sure that the covenant came about. Look at um, Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is, uh, <clears throat> he's kind of worried. He doesn't really know if all this stuff is going to happen, if it's not going to, you know, he's wondering if it's really going to come to fruition like God has said. And he's particularly talking to God about entering the promised land. And in verse 8 of chapter 15, here's what Abraham says. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? That's the land. And he said to him, this is God talking to Abraham. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. That just sounds weird, right? Okay? And then he says, when he brought those things, he said, now cut them in half. And he laid them each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Now, again, sometimes I read the scripture and I just wonder, what in the world is God talking about? Well, for us, this is totally weird, but in that, in that culture, in that time period, making a commitment, making a covenant, making a relationship with somebody, what you would do is have a ratification ceremony. And, and part of that ratification ceremony would be is that you would take livestock like bulls or goats or sheep and you'd sacrifice them and you'd cut them right down the middle and then you'd place them on each side of an aisle. And then the people who were making the covenant, they would walk arm in arm or hand in hand or with their shoulders, with their arms around each other's shoulders, and they would walk through these pieces of former livestock. And, uh, and while they were walking through these pieces of former livestock, what they were symbolically saying to one another is that if I break this covenant, you treat me like we just treated this livestock. Now, what's really crazy about that is that Abraham has a dream right after this takes place. And as he falls asleep, look at verse 17. This is what happened. When the sun had gone down, now he's having a dream, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces of livestock. Now, again, you might think, well, what does that even mean? Well, the, the, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torches are a picture of the God of the universe. And, and Abraham knew as he experienced this dream that what God was saying to him is that God was walking through this sacrificial covenant ceremony by himself. And therefore, God was taking the full responsibility of making this covenant come to pass. Abraham didn't have anything to do with it. Abraham wasn't responsible to make sure that you and I would have a Savior thousands of years later. God was working that plan. I mean, it's just like salvation today. You know, you don't have anything to do with your salvation. You, you can't do enough good. You can't do enough right things. You can't outweigh the bad things you did by the good things that you're doing. There is no effort that you can put forth. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by works, so that nobody can boast. And this whole process of our salvation has been constantly and consistently God's work in you. Would you respond to that work if you haven't? Would you receive this gift of grace if you haven't? 
Now, what's Abraham's role then? If it's not to work it out with God, then what is it? Well, Steve said it last week. It's to faithfully wait in obedience. It's to have faith which produces obedience. It's the exact same thing that started in my life when I was a teenager and accepted Jesus. That my, my faith, as I wait for Jesus to either bring me to heaven through my death or to, or to bring me into his presence at the second coming, my responsibility is to live out my faith in obedience. And it's an up and down journey. And that's the journey that Abraham was on. It was an up and down journey. I mean, think about some of the things that Abraham did. I mean, in, in Genesis chapter 12, I mean, he, he does this awesome thing. It's an up moment in his faith. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees and follows God. I mean, that's an up. That's a big thing, to, to leave everything you had in the past behind and choose to follow the God of the universe, even though you don't even hardly know him. And you certainly don't know what he's actually planning, but, God, but he did it. But that doesn't last very long because in in Genesis chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, he and his wife end up in Egypt and they're just about to go in and talk to the Pharaoh and explain who they are. And this is what he says. Hey, honey, when we go in here, uh, if you don't mind, why don't you say you're my sister? Look at verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. It says, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and then they're going to kill me. But they will let you live. Verse 13, say you are my sister, that it may go well with you, with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Ladies, if, if you're there with your husband and, they, and he would say to you, hey, honey, why don't you just tell this guy uh, that you're my sister? You would probably say back to him, why don't I tell him you're my brother or, you know, something. This is, this is not what you want to do. This is not a leadership situation. This is totally a failure of faith and disobedience. And God still makes his way to bring forth Jesus from this faithless person in the moment. But then it doesn't just stop there. I mean, he, he, his faith then rises like crazy. And in the moment, he's with Lot, who's his nephew. And there's this great expanse of resources and people that Lot and Abraham have come to have on their own. And they discover they cannot, they cannot exist together anymore. And so Abraham says to Lot in Genesis chapter 13, verse 9, he says, look, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Talk about generosity and trust in the Lord. If I am Abraham, who has the right to make the first decision, to has the right to decide where I want to go because I'm the leader of the family, I am going to really struggle with not taking the best of the land. But not Abraham. In this moment, he just believed and trusted God that God would care for him. It was a huge upswing. And then another downswing, though, happened soon after that. In Genesis chapter 16, verses 2 through 4, Sarah says to Abraham, listen, um, let me just remind you, we are supposed to be having this kid. We haven't had it. God doesn't seem to be delivering this kid, so I got a great idea. I'm going to give you my maidservant, Hagar. You sleep with her, and we'll have a baby. Great idea. Terrible idea, right? <laughs> Terrible idea. Ishmael is born, and Ishmael and his descendants have disrupted the things of God ever since. 
They, they've been in rebellion against the, the, the Son of God and the people of God and the nature of what God is trying to accomplish. It was a terrible idea. And yet God kept working through it. In fact, in, in finally, in Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born. God, God delivers this, this baby that Sarah and Abraham have been waiting for. And Abraham, at 100 years old, becomes a father. Wow, is that crazy? And then he has probably the brightest moment of his entire faith career. Look at verse 22, chapter 22 of Genesis. In chapter 22 of Genesis, God asks him to do something astounding. He says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? Can you imagine? He's been waiting a hundred years for this baby, and, and God says, I want you to kill him, to sacrifice him. I want to test your obedience. I want to test your faith. I want you to kill him and sacrifice him. Dads, what would you have done in that moment? <laughs> well, first of all, I think I probably would have, you know, thought about it for a while, right? I would have, I would have said, uh, is, uh, this really can't, this can't be what God's saying, right? I mean, there's, there's got to be another alternative here. I must have missed something. But that is not what Abraham did. Here's what Abraham did in verse 3. He rose early in the morning. He rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He didn't mess around. Not only did he, did he, did he get up early and leave, but, you know, if I, if I would have been there, I would have been trying to figure out any way I could to avoid having to sacrifice my son, but not Abraham. He had no idea where God was going to tell him to sacrifice his son. And so what he did is he cut wood for the burnt offering. If I would have been in that situation, I just would have hoped there was no wood there and I didn't have any, and therefore I would have got out of it, right? That's probably what you would have done as well, but not Abraham. By faith, Abraham said, I'm going to do everything that God's calling me to do. And then in verse 5, they, after finally seeing where he was supposed to sacrifice Isaac, in verse 5 he said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy are going to go over there and worship, and then we're going to come back to you. We're going we're to go over and worship. In other words, I'm going to go over and sacrifice Isaac. I'm going to put him to death, and I'm going to burn him on an altar, and then we're going to come back. <laughs> Man, Isaac was going to be dead in Abraham's mind. And yet Abraham believed that he was going to return with his son. Something miraculous like being resurrected from the dead was going to happen. But instead of having to kill his son, what God did was sent a, a substitute in his place, an atonement, a, a, a somebody who could stand in the way of the son, a ram caught in a thicket. Are you starting to see how the connection points of these covenants all come together? The one and only son of Abraham Abraham believing that resurrection would be needed 
and that God then providing an atonement which would come in the future. Abraham, man, he lived an up and down life of faith, didn't he? He was, he was one of those people who, who had an experience with God that was life-changing, but it was still this process of having to have faith and strengthen your faith and grow in your faith to be obedient to God, to be on the mission and the call of God in your life. You know, God has called us to basically two things, to follow him and to deliver his son to those that are around us. I mean, to follow him, and it takes faith, doesn't it? Because following means that I, that I press into him in times when I need comfort instead of pressing into the things of the world. And it takes faith to choose God over the world. To, to follow him means that we chase after holiness and purity. And it takes faith to get to this place of obedience because so many times I'd rather follow the world or the flesh. But he is better. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we stake our lives on. It's what the the, the covenants and the plan of God all bring us to. It's who, it's how we connect with the God of the universe. His death, his resurrection for our life. When you came in this morning, you received the communion elements. If you don't, if you don't have them, would you just raise your hand and uh, the ushers will deliver one to you? I mean, it's, it's just so, it's so connected. <laughs> Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was kind of bringing these covenants all to fruition. He was kind of explaining all of them together and, and what they meant to the people of God. And, um, and this is what he, what he said. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is Paul talking about that night. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they ate together. Let's do that. And keep in mind, this was all taking place at the, the Passover ceremony, which is, you know, something that God instituted around the time of Moses. And, um, and so these Jews, disciples and Jesus, they're celebrating this Passover ceremony together, and, and it's already completely out of whack. They don't really understand what happened with the bread. And then Jesus takes the cup. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. I'm sorry. He says, in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the culmination of all the covenants together. It's not just a new way. It's everything from old being 
brought forth to understanding and the realization that all the stuff they were doing before, all the sacrifices, all the ceremonies, all the traditions, they were all looking forward to what Jesus would do the next day, die on the cross, and then rise again. And so as Jesus took this cup, he was trying to help them envision that within a few hours, they would experience and see his blood dripping from his body to the ground to cover his sins. And we remember that that's what Jesus did for us. God, we need you. Everything about who we are leaves us wanting. We need you. The sin that we have in us has left us broken. We need you. And in our hour of need, you did not. You did not ignore us, push us aside, or move in a new direction. You brought forth your son, Jesus Christ, who literally was the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that you would use Abraham's people to bring forth a deliverer who would be Christ the Lord, who would deliver us from our sins and win for us the victory over death. God, we are grateful. And as we live out our lives as followers of yours until we perish or until you come again, would you help us to wait with faith the faith of knowing and believing that the God of the universe loves us and has done whatever was necessary to bring us back.